Uh. Some of people's one time. What up, what up, what up, ladies and gentlemen? You're back rocking with Across the Intersection podcast. This is your man AJ. I'm here with Eve and Dan this time. What's up? Hey, everybody. Don't forget to hit us up on social media. Hit us up on Facebook, Across the Intersection, and please hit us up on Twitter at Across This. We want to try to build up that social media following so that we can look legit and look real, <laughs> <laughs> look real fancy and dope because we got followers. So follow us on social media. And you can follow us individually. You can hit me up at Divinimus on Twitter. I know that's real long. You're like, what the heck is that? <laughs> D-I-V-E-N-O-M-O-U-S. <laughs> it took a couple seconds, right? <laughs> Divine and Venomous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And for me, it is uh, at E to the V to the E. Uh, that really comes from my former uh, pen name, Eve the Zealot. Uh, and so, yeah, hit me up on Twitter. That's where I rant and rave the most. <laughs> Once again, this is Daniel. Uh, you can check out my blog. I do not have Twitter. I just have a Facebook account. Uh, but you can check out my blog at uh, Diary of a Redeemed Center at WordPress.com. That's on some Paul Washer. Like, <laughs> ba-boom. That's what's up. Um, but, yeah, so we're going to keep it rocking this week. Um, you're in episode three. A lot been going on this week. We're going to revisit some older stuff. Not too old. We're not going back two years, but some stuff. <laughs> There's honestly been so much stuff going on recently. Yep. You know, sometimes it's just not enough time to really dissect it and hash it out. So, you know, I think the, the first thing we want to talk, because for those of you who don't know, we record. We're in the Washington, D.C. area, the DMV, as yep. the suburban kids love to call it. <laughs> I don't. DC, I don't Maryland, Virginia. Yeah, me personally, I, you know, I, and I was talking with another cat I know. We were talking about this that that whole term, the DMV. Yeah, he's like, yo, hey, he's like, what do you think about that term? He just like came out the. I was like, I've never really ascribed to that term. He's like, I was like, he's like, yeah, me too. He's like, because if you're from DC, you just from DC. Mm-hmm. It's only people that live like an hour outside the city. <laughs> be like, yo, I'm from the DMV. <laughs> so I, th- I anyway. think people in Northern Virginia probably claim the DMV more than anyone. <laughs> Tell me about it. And it's like, you can't live in the Shenandoah talking about I'm, I'm rep the DMV. I'm sorry. All my Shenandoah people, don't say you from the DMV. You know, it's interesting. I, not. I thought most people knew what DMV was. Mm-hmm. And so on Facebook, if I post or whatever, I'll be like, yeah, for the people in DMV, you know, watch out for, you know, whatever it's going on in the roads or whatever. And then after a while, one person said, the Department of Motor Vehicles? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what? Wait, what? I thought everybody knew D.C., Maryland, Virginia. I think it might have come from the Beltway because you feel like if you're inside the Beltway, it's kind of like. But anyway, <laughs> we, we we we're digressing. But we're in the area. There you go. If you if you're from right here, you know what I mean when I say we're from the area. You from the D.C. area. But um, a couple weeks ago, there was actually a shooting. Um, there was a shooting out at the congressional, the congressional baseball team. They have a the Congress has a baseball team, and they were practicing, and there was a shooting. And one of the members of Congress, the majority whip, I believe he is, yep. yeah. was injured um, at the shooting, which, you know, normally when we try to categorize extremism and violence in politics, it's usually, oh, it's one of these crazy Republicans out here shooting people because, you know, they want their guns. Remember they told Obama they want to keep their religion and their guns. 
And but this time it was flipped. This time it was it was a different it was a different spin on it. It was uh, extremist. I guess you want to call them liberal, extremist, mm-hmm. Democrat, yeah. whatever you want to call it, shooting up Republicans, which is crazy because you know it it lends itself to the notion that no, there are crazy people on both sides of the aisle or whatever. All of them are wild, and all of them really are deceived and deluded. If you think shooting a congressman is really going to help push your agenda or mm-hmm. whatever you're trying to get across, I don't, I don't know. I, I thought it was wild. Were there any more people that got shot besides the, the congressman? Uh, there was an officer who uh, got shot, actually. I do not have her information. I think there were two of them. I, I think there were three people who actually took in bullets because everybody okay. else started uh, dispersing when... The, the bullets started ringing out, but I think that the shooter forgot that, okay, this is the Republican uh, congressional baseball practice, so therefore there will be Capitol Police there. I don't know what he was thinking, but, you know. Yeah, so just uh, the the details of the event for those who are not aware, uh, those who live in, yeah, the DMV, whatever you want to call this area, <laughs> we are very well aware of what happened. Uh, but this incident occurred uh, June 14th in Alexandria, Virginia, approximately 7 a.m. in the morning. Um, the Republican team was practicing for the congressional baseball game. And a uh, shooter, uh, James Hodgkinson, um, he came to the, the practice field and I believe he had a nine millimeter and a, also a, a rifle of some sort. Yep. Crazy. And he shot up the game. He uh, did uh, shoot uh, Congressman Steve Scalise, who, uh, as AJ said, is the majority whip of the House for those who do not know what that means, which was me uh, prior to <laughs> reading up on it. Uh, basically, he's uh, third in command of the House. Is, is what that means. Um, so he was put in critical condition, and it was uh, later found out at the incident, after the incident, that uh, this person, the suspect, James Hodgkinson, was actually a, a liberal and was involved in the Bernie Sanders campaign, oh, his presidential that's right. campaign. That hurts. That hurts me bad um, because I was feeling the burn. Yeah, so... Um, <laughs> My man felt the burn, too, I see. Uh, I do want to say kudos to Bernie Sanders. He got out in front of it, and he said yeah. you know, that he, he condemned the action and that, you know, he doesn't support anyone who, you know, wishes violence on anyone. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I don't want to blame, you know, Bernie Sanders is not responsible for this shooting. Uh, so, you know, I don't want us to go that far, but I would like to look at the issue of examining the extremism on on both sides. As AJ referenced, we typically think of this crazy Republicans, those uh, conservative extremists. Uh, But there are liberal extremists. Uh, We can be extreme on either side of the aisle and I yeah, I don't I don't want us to be to be biased one side or the other. Uh, I also did want to mention a comment made by a um, Democrat in Nebraska. After oh, no. uh, it was, uh, his name was Phil Montague. 
in response to the incident, in, in response to the shooting, Phil Montague said, I'm glad that he got shot. I wish he was effing dead. <laughs> uh, That's crazy. He said now, he said that he, apparently he didn't know he was being recorded uh. at that time. Uh, so he thought he was off the mic. Um, so I can wish death on you. Yeah. If, I'm, if, if I'm off the mic, then yeah. I can wish you death. It's just really. So matter of fact, as soon as we finish recording, I'm going to wish somebody death so I don't care. That's crazy, man. So there's there's a lot of hate on on both sides. You Again, we, we do talk about the Republican hate, and I do you know, even want us to look back at even the you know the presidential campaign and uh, just how many Republicans disparaged Obama in his presidency. Mm-hmm. You know, Obama's the Antichrist and making characters of him. Do you remember um, that they actually? I remember they were saying Obama was the Antichrist. Yep, they had they were saying he was the Antichrist. Um, the caricature uh, artists made him look like a primate. They yeah. did the same thing same. with his wife. Yeah. Um, it was ugly back in 08 and 12. It was ugly. And people don't understand when they're in positions of leadership, you set an environment. And do you expect people to just, I mean, you're setting an environment. You're setting a tone for a, for something that's almost intangible. And of course, the people who look up to you as, as a leader are going to respond, right. you know? And then, and then I'm wondering if they're trying to step back saying, oh, what's wrong with these crazy people? No. The mouth that you use to spew forth your rhetoric is going to land someplace. Yeah. yeah. Not I'm, the mouth, but the word that you, yeah, <laughs> the words that you use. Yeah. I've, I've just never, you know, honestly, never in my lifetime um, have I seen just such a divide, just such hate um, between both sides of the aisle. Just a lack of coming together. Um, While well, I say that, I do want to make mention that after the shooting, the when they got together for the game, both the Democrats and Republicans prayed together. So mm-hmm. that was a, a good sign. However, uh, as Eva referenced, there's just so much crazy rhetoric on both sides of the aisle, mm-hmm. and it, it leads to this type of extremism. Now, I don't, I don't remember things being this hot in the 80s or, you know, even the the 90s. Um, Well, people didn't have this much access to media. And, you know, now there's a 24-hour news cycle. You know, I can remember when we were kids, you know, in the 70s and 80s, you remember the news like... I wasn't a kid in the (laughs) 70s. What are you talking about? Uh, Anyway. You remember the news going off, though. Like you remember, like the the networks going off, like we're signing I'm from off. New York, you know, we had twenty four hours. Okay, hour. well in DC, <laughs> <laughs> the 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 networks went off the air. Like I remember, like you know, eleven, twelve, one o'clock in the morning, like after the Tonight Show or whatever. It was just like, yeah. you'd be like, we we, yes. we thank you for watching Better. our broadcast day, and it, and it would just go off. It's like, yeah. but you know, now there's a twenty four hour news cycle, so. People have access nonstop, particularly you know cable news. When you talk about CNN, Fox, mm-hmm. MSNBC, they 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 have constant you know streams of updates and alerts and bulletins and breaking news. And so, I think that lends itself more to the extremism because if if which is going on, not if it is going on when you have, particularly in this nation, 
leaders talking reckless, congressmen yep. talking reckless, presidents talking reckless, senators, governors, just being reckless with their words. And it is constant, 24 hours a day. It lends itself to, you know, someone who's already extreme in nature. And words from a reckless leader can push them over the edge. You know, words, uh, reckless leaders, reckless words from a, a person in, in leadership yeah. is all it takes to have someone who's already pretty extreme now to feel like, you know what, I'm going to go buy a gun and shoot up a baseball practice. Like, they were already on edge. But now from just being loose with, with, with our words as as leaders, it, that pushes that person over the edge. And, <clears throat> I mean, it, it's cool to after the fact denounce the acts and all of that, but if you don't change the the tone of your rhetoric moving forward, it it'll just happen again. Like this won't be the this is not the first time a congressman has been shot. Remember the lady in Arizona was shot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Gifford. Yep. Yeah. So it's it's not gonna be the first, and it probably won't be the last because of the tone of political conversation right now in this country is very heated, it's very hateful, it's very spiteful. Honestly, for ideological differences. I mean, we're not talking about I want you know, I hate you, I want to kill you. We're just talking about, oh, I believe something politically different than you and that makes me so mad mm. I'm gonna shoot you. Yeah. You know, over an ideology. So you know, I I don't know. Right now the shooter is six feet under. However, um they one of the articles um referenced or, or interviewed his brother and you know he and his brother are estranged but one thing that his brother knew was that as soon as the election happened uh, that's when he drove up here he's been living out of his van and oh, he wow. drove up here after the election he was just really really distressed so he's been here for a few months and then now this is what pops off so um you set the tone for an environment like this there's going to be a response exactly yeah and what you know what the question I'm asking myself is what what has helped happen to just healthy disagreement, just disagreeing on the issues without slamming each other's character, and this again because they get into this rhetoric. This is this is the end result. This is what it can lead to. And what should our response be as Christians, whether we're uh, liberal or conservative? We should. Again, seek to be at peace with all men. Mm. All that, with, right, as, we should as seek what to be peacemakers. Our power. Yeah. yeah, to be peacemakers, regardless of whether you're a Democrat and they're a Republican or vice versa, whether you disagree on certain issues, we should be peacemakers. Yeah, because my political affiliation, right, should not trump. <laughs> 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 Yeah, double entendre yeah, for right. you non-rappers out there. That's a double entendre. No, <laughs> um, but it it shouldn't supersede my my position in the kingdom of God. Like that does not overshadow that. Yes, I may have a particular ideology. I may have a particular cultural, you know, ideology. Whatever it is, but at the end of the day. I'm a son of God and I strive to be a peacemaker, right? I strive to be a representation of my heavenly father in the earth. Now, once we get past that, I may have some different, you know, quirks and different things I believe politically, culturally, what have you. But those things can't supersede that. Yeah. And that's what happens because instead of being the peacemakers, we're one of the main troublemakers. Christians out front <laughs> making the most trouble. And you're like, you're doing the exact opposite. 
of what you should be doing, which is being a peacemaker. No, you're out front. Oh, liberals are going to burn in hell. And, you know, come on. That How does that make peace? Is it truth? Of course, it's, some of it is true. If you say, oh, all of you gays are going to burn in hell, that's not the way you relay that. Now, does God, uh, you know, not necessarily view homosexuality positively? Yeah. Now, is there a way I can communicate that without running and yelling at thousands of gay people saying you're all going to burn in hell? What do I think their response is going to be? And right? the interesting thing is it's it's counter. Well, not only is it unproductive and counterproductive, but it doesn't make sense. If they're going to burn in hell, you're communicating that to them. And so that doesn't make any sense. Why? Yeah. Okay, so you're telling someone. Unless you repent, you're going to burn. But the hate that you're saying it with right. tells me that you don't care about their soul. Like, do you really, burn. if you love someone and you're telling them, repent, you know, God <clears throat> has a standard, you know, your life is going to come to an end at some point. Everything's going to be wrapped up and a judgment is going to come. And so if that's what you believe, spewing it in hate doesn't make sense. Either you love the person and want them to repent or you don't. But to just open your mouth and just yell about who's going to end up in hell or not shows it's more of a reflection on your heart if you're being hateful about it um, rather than, you know, who that person is. Either they're going to heaven or they're not. Let Okay, if that's a, fact, a matter of fact, then why, why, what is the point? Are you informing them for them to turn or to... And that's another thing. Are you informing them for them to repent in general and turn to Christ or are you informing them so that they would stop that particular behavior? Right. To make you feel better. Because I was watching an interview with Trevor Noah. That's the comedian from Comedy Central um, who took over the Daily Show for Jon Stewart. And he, you know, he's from South Africa. And so he was being interviewed and he said he has a, a different spin on it because he's from another country now living in America. And he was given some of his, you know, experience dealing with racism in South Africa. And he said, you know, he grew up in apartheid. He's like, you know, when I grew up, there wasn't this, like, hidden racism. They were like, no, I don't like you. I'm racist, blackie. Get, like, get away from me. You know, it was, like, it was like that. And then apartheid ended, and so the country shifted. And he's like, but then I come to America, and it, there's, like, this hidden kind of secretive <laughs> kind of. But then he, he made a statement. He said, but what America doesn't do is like what you just said. We don't work towards trying to help the person change. We just say, oh, you're racist or oh, you're this, whatever it is, and we just want to get you out of here. Well, if you pile enough of them together, they're going to say, all right, well, we're all just racist, so whatever, screw it. We're just going to, yeah. you know, and that's that, that's what you're seeing. If we, we've pushed people to the margins, right? We've pushed them to the margins now. Well, now there's enough of them on the margins yeah. to where they have a sizable, you know, amount of people to where now they can make actual shift and change in the society in I mean as you're seeing from the election and things like that. So yeah. because we never really worked to build bridges. We we never really worked to be peacemakers. We just wanted to get them out of our sphere, you know, kind yeah, of get them out of our view or whatever. Yeah, just name calling labeling is not going to win people over. You bigot, you homophobe, you xenophobe racist you know just okay <laughs> what okay so if if all that is true why you know, again why are you are you do you want them to change do you exactly are you, are you working with them on changing their attitudes or you just want to label them and again as you said aj you're you're just uh 
you're just solidifying them more against you. So they're they're more solidified, and this is why we have the climate that we have right now. We're not working. We're we just we're just labeling people. We're not working to address the actual address the issues. You know, it's interesting because it reminds me of an elementary school recess. That's what it reminds me of. I'm from New York City Public Schools. Maybe we were just exceptionally mean. (laughs) But if somebody drops, if somebody mistakenly threw something away, (laughs) and then they go to the garbage to take it out, garbage picker! (laughs) And everybody's pointing, you're a garbage picker! Or something even more sinister, the round kid, you know? Fat boy, fat boy. So what you, I mean, but what's going on now with adults reminds me of lunch, a recess after Mm. lunchtime. Um, in and I don't elementary sit at that school. table. Yeah, I don't sit with them. Yeah, yeah it's yeah, like, yeah. And, and these are this is what little kids do. You point and you make an observation. Yes, the kid is fat, but so, okay, so he's fat, so you're making an observation and calling him fat. So what is the purpose of that observation? What is he going to do? Suddenly shed all of his fat cells? Like, what? It makes no sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so we, we just got to be better. We, we, we got to do better. And we can't expect... Um, you know, this these types of changes got to come from the body of Christ, man. If you're listening out there, listen, if you're claiming that you believe in God and all of that stuff, you have to be a peacemaker. You have to work to build bridges. Listen, everybody is not going to agree with you. We have to, like, I think we get shocked and surprised that people don't agree, <laughs> that people don't agree with, with, with my point of view. Oh, you don't agree with me? Well, then you're wrong. You, you're you're going to burn in hell or whatever. No, there are people that are not going to agree with your point of view. There are people that are not going to see things the way that you see them. And so what you have to do is work to be a peacemaker. You have to work to build bridges, mm. right, so that you can, you know, win them and or at a minimum at least help them see your your point of view. And part of that, you know, we've talked about this consistently, which is just – you know, making sure that we present things in a more honest way. You know, we have to just continue to work on that. Um, I think in a, in a sort of a twist and turn segue, you know, presenting things in a honest way, we're going to pivot a little bit off of uh, the congressional shooting, um, is the dishonest way in which poverty is portrayed in the, in, in this country. Um Mm-mm-mm. You like that? I'm I'm, I'm getting better. Yeah. I know three, I like it. Th- I like three it. episodes in, and I'm becoming a professional. <laughs> the, but the the dishonest uh, presentation of poverty in the U.S. You know when when you think of poverty, and just for all of you listening, I just said the word poverty, and I guarantee you a certain kind of image probably popped in your mind mm. when you thought about poverty. Be honest. Right. Be honest with yourself. But in in all actuality, that is not the reality of what poverty actually is. And so one of the things we wanted to wrap about today is the minority group with the highest poverty rate in New York City. There was an article in the Huffington Post this past week that shared some statistics that Asian Americans actually have the highest poverty rate in New York City. Now, I guarantee you, when I just said poverty, very few of you probably thought about Asian Americans. What? People thought of Rayquisha with seven children. <laughs> Rayquisha. That's what they saw. Rayquisha You're getting with, better at, with at, seven children. Accepting those made up. Now, see, you're getting better at accepting those names. I see. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure when you, when you said Asian Americans, a certain image popped up in their head. Exactly. As well. So, 
in New York City, uh, one quarter of the Asian Americans living in New York City are either at or below the poverty line, which is staggering. It's a staggering number. That means one in four Asians you run across in New York City are at or below the poverty line. That means, nope, they're not doctors. They're not engineers or computer scientists or any other thing that you might have thought uh, Asian people are. No, they are probably working in a restaurant or doing some kind of menial job, and they are at or below the poverty line. But we don't think that. We're not taught to think that. So we don't pay it any mind because in that same article they were saying because people don't even know that, they were saying how Asians in New York only get like 1% or 2% of city services for assistance. Like 1% or 2% of the services go to Asian Americans because <clears throat> excuse me, because of, of the misnomer that Asians are not in poverty. So, and you're talking about tax-paying Asian Americans. Right, that's, exactly. You know, you pay taxes and that's part of what the taxes should be used for. To help you get services, right, exactly. Financial assistance, food assistance, housing assistance, whatever. One, It's like one and a half percent of all the services in New York City go to Asian Americans, which, again, is another staggering number. So what say you? What say you about this, you know, faulty image of what we think of as poverty? In the Now, I know those numbers are not the same across the board. There's, I used to live in New York. I know there's a tremendous amount of Asians in New York City. It's not going to be that same number if you went to the middle of Wisconsin, I, I I get it, but specifically, you know, honing in on on the situation in uh, New York City. So you're again, you're telling me that the the highest poverty group is not they're not blacks or Hispanics, they're Asians. Aren't Asians supposed to be doctors and lawyers right, exactly. and scientists? The smart kid in the math class. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, so and yeah. aren't aren't Asians there? Those are they're Chinese, right, or Japanese. Those are those are Asians, right? <laughs> it's a very diverse group. It's funny. I was watching the um, spelling bee on ESPN because mm-hmm. now you know ain't, ain't, ain't no sports on. <laughs> so ESPN, NBA finals is over. Right, NBA over. Is over. I know. I'm 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 crying, but there were like nine or ten kids on the spelling bee championship, and like ninety percent of them were like Asians. Yeah, specifically from the subcontinent of India, probably. Yeah. Subcontinent. Oh, see, I told y'all she's smart. I ain't even never heard oh. that before. Subcontinent thing. Yeah. But Th- know, that's a thing. So I just I want to make a remark about that because the reason that mm. human beings in our country tend to have those stereotypes, those are positive stereotypes. But the reason is because of the myth of the model minority. Mm. That's what that that's where that comes from. And so when you ha- and this is across the world, by the way. When you have a country, and there are plenty of them, that have historically built their success on the backs of the lowest rung in society, when that lowest rung starts rising up saying, we want civil rights and we want human rights, a country like that needs to be able to point to some other minority group and say, what What are you talking about? Those people over there have been successful. That's just the way that that is. You know, you, you have to justify almost, or or I should say you have to eliminate the dissension in some way. And so back in, uh, when, when the model minority myth uh, was first birthed, which was in the 60s, you know, you had uh, Asian Americans up until a few decades ago did not have that stereotype. And so the 60s come, especially 1965, and the Immigration Act came. 
and that actually opened up the doors of immigration. Prior to then, there was all, all to them then there were all kinds of restrictions on people that were really racially and you know biased and, and culturally biased. But eight, but 1965 comes, and then the floodgates are opened. Interestingly enough, that's around the civil rights movement. Mm. So that same that same civil rights movement. You know, Dr. King and people like that didn't just do what they did for quote unquote black rights. Like across the board, people benefited off the back of those civil rights workers, many of them dead. So it's interesting that legislation and various other things came up from that sort of climate. And one of that one of the legislative uh, acts were it was the uh, 1965 um, uh, Immigration Act. So anyway, I'm saying all this to say, the first thing that you see is that there were certain preferred groups, and one of the preferred groups were professionals, mm. um, and married couples, you know, single people under twenty-one, you know, groups who had a more a higher likelihood to succeed anyway. Right. So then you have folks coming from Asia, you know, during that time in droves, and of course, when you have that type of group, you're going to have a certain amount of success. People don't go across the world to fail. <laughs> you know, immigrants do not, you know. Of course, nobody looks at the success of the people who stayed behind. <laughs> they want to compare native uh, people native to North America to people who came over to succeed, which doesn't make sense. It's a false comparison. But my point in, in saying all that is to say that's when the literature and the narrative of the model minority came forth. You have the Black Panthers. You have uh, the Black Power Movement. Finally, after all these centuries, you have a huge surge and African-Americans saying, no, we're not going to take this anymore, and exposing to the whole world that we've been second and third class citizens for all of this time. So there's a backlash against that. And then you point to, quote unquote, model minorities, and you have literature and everything around that and say, oh, what are you guys talking about? Those people over there succeeded and they just got here. And then what hap what's happened in the decades since is that people have believed that model minority myth, including the model minorities. Mm -hmm. You're not going to have model minorities saying, oh, no, we're, we're, we actually do have levels of power. No. If the whole world expects you to be good at math, um, <laughs> if you're in a classroom and the teacher looks past all these kids and sees you and, and expects you to be good and have good uh, grades, you know, that's, it was a self-perpetuating mm -hmm. Uh, myth. So, you know, I'm just saying all that to say that's part of the climate that we exist in now, even decades later, where people who are in poverty, who are Asian, won't get the services, and sometimes they won't even expose themselves to say mm -hmm. we're struggling. Yeah, we have to that that model minority myth. We have to sort of call call that thing. I I was uh, there's a book I was just um, wanted to make sure that I referenced po um, properly. It's called Unsettled. Um, and it's by the Voices of America. And it talks a lot about that model minority myth and be, where that came from. And because in the early 20th century, the fear of being deported from the U.S. in the Asian community was so strong. And they realized that, you know, those that preferential treatment for professionals. Um, so they the Asians that were here began to strongly force their children into professional, particularly Chinese, Japanese, and Indian. Because a lot of the smaller Southeastern Asian com countries, they hadn't immigrated as much to the United States. Yeah. But it was particularly the larger, more populous countries that had already begun to immigrate and who were already here. And you can read, on, read up a lot about the Japanese internment camps and Chinese who were already in the U.S. 
So they began to for they were living through very arduous circumstances. They got wind of the preferential treatment that was given to professionals and things of that nature. And so they began to force their children and put these expectations on their children, which then gave the next generation of Chinese Americans, Japanese Americans, Indian Americans, that expectation. Oh, no, no, you, you're going to... But it, it wasn't because you're smarter. It wasn't because you had a natural inclination to mathematics or sciences. It was, we don't want to get deported. <laughs> we don't want the whole family to get sent back to third world conditions. And so if you become a doctor, if you become a scientist, a lawyer, et cetera, et cetera, that we are more likely to be able to stay here. And so then that has just been perpetuated over the last century. But it had nothing to do with any natural inclination. It had, again, to do with unjust U.S. policies that were then perpetuated by propaganda in the media. And so here we are in 2017. And we had, you know, we, we talked, remember we talked a couple weeks ago about our cultural biases. And we do. Yeah. We just assume sometimes that the Chinese guys are smarter or the Indian guys are smart. Where does that come from, right? We just and this is a a cultural thing. So if if we go somewhere, if we're in a class, we just assume, oh, this guy he he might be a little smarter than than everybody else. I might get him as a tutor or try to, and we got to really call these things out for what they are. And what they are was just a lie that <clears throat> got enough steam behind it that it started to be you know be believed as truth. It started mm -hmm. to you know become part of the sort of subconscious psyche of this country that Asians are somehow more naturally inclined um, in terms of education and not yeah, that they're a, not amazing you know, yeah. but yeah yeah and because of because of that because of the perpetuation of the myth it actually can become a reality as we've been exactly about because you know the the teachers expect the the Asian student to to do better so they're going to give preferential treatment yep. they're going to give them more attention and therefore, you know, we, we live up to our expectations. Exactly. That's the way now, children operate. You know, the more we expect of, of a child, the, the more they're going to be able to better perform. Now, I don't want to say that that's 100% across yeah. the board because, you know, there are some outliers. But generally, right. yeah, generally we're going to live up to our expectations. Now, you know... So what, what, my view, what started as a, as a, I would say a bad thing as far as, you know, them trying to, you know, do better in, in school, do have better jobs so they wouldn't get deported. And in some sense, it has become a, a good thing in the community because of the higher expectations. Mm -hmm. um, so how, how do we translate this to other minority yeah. groups how you know how can we change our mindset to expect more of 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 blacks more of hispanics expect them to do better yeah how do we change the, the mindsets of the, the families the teachers uh just to expect more uh so that every so that all minority groups will do better. I just want our audience to know Daniel is a clinician. He knows the way that, I mean, <laughs> you know, this is a, a person in that particular field of psychology. And, you know, it's really interesting. That's the vulnerability of that particular stage in life, the childhood and, and the way that human being, uh, human beings who are children develop. They look around and they're like, okay, what am I supposed to, you know, they don't know anything. They're looking at 
what people expect of them. But you ask a really important question. If Jose was expected, every time you see a kid named Jose or a kid who looks like his name might be Jose, every time, you know, if every time you see him, you expect him to be, you know, a computer scientist, how many kids over the course of decades who, you know, have a particular appearance would have become computer scientists or, you know, high wage earners, for example, you know? And so I think that speaks to, we should have expecta high expectations, you know, that match interests and talents in children. Of course, one of the back, you know, lashes is that, you know, there, there are very few Asian Americans uh, compared to other groups in the humanities um, and in other fields, and how many people would have been great anthropologists, but they weren't geared in that direction. And anthropology is very important. So on the negative side, are there people who kind of missed out on, on who they are, what God designed when he made them, because their father or mother said, nope, you're going to be a doctor or a lawyer, and that is it, or you're going to marry a doctor or a lawyer, and that is it. But on the positive side, just like Daniel said, it's like, okay, what can we learn from this? You know, back in the early 80s, that's I believe it's the early 80s is when the first Indian American won the spelling bee. And I don't know if you guys realize this, but now in every Indian American community around the country, there are spelling bee clubs. Mm. Every single last. I mean, that's why you see, you know, the demographic that you see wow. at the National Spelling Bee, because they, they say, oh, wow, so we can do that. And this is a means by which our, our students can gain confidence and get mm, respect. That's good. You go to AAUs around the country, black kids, middle class, you know, et cetera, black kids at every single AAU. You know, it was in the 60s that the what became the NBA became integrated. Mm -hmm. And then you see all this success. And ever since then, black kids are expected to play basketball. So, you know, we can we can use this for good. It's that cultural. It's that cultural bias. I mean, you're right because people just expect. Oh, you know, they ask me all the time. You know, my my son is nine, <laughs> so they'll say, "Hey, man, is he playing football? Is he this? Is he that?" He can play whatever he wants to, but he's not forced just because he's a black kid to have to be good at athletics. Now he likes to play basketball, so he plays basketball. But there's no pressure. Like like I know parents are like, "Oh no, he's gonna run track and play basketball and football because he's gonna get a scholarship." Why? <laughs> Why couldn't he get an academic scholarship? Right? Why would you not? You know, because if if we're being honest, there's actually there was an um I, I wasn't say article, but the company's closed down now. Al Jazeera, you know, now they have AJ Plus. Mm. And they did a uh, like when a, they have like AJ Plus has these little brief documentaries. It's like five or ten minutes. And they I did, love Al Jazeera. <laughs> and they did one on now NSA gonna start tracking our, tracking <laughs> our Al, Jazeera. Al Jazeera. But um, I don't know if y'all knew AJ Plus is, was part of Al Jazeera. But anyway, um, they had like one of those, their little mini documentaries. They put them all over the internet: Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, about Nigerians. And people don't realize that Nigerians are actually the most educated minority in the United States. Yep. That wouldn't pop in your mind when you think about minority groups that crank out the most doctors, crank out the most whatevers, you, you name it. It's Nigerians. Just go down to Houston. You'll see it. <laughs> <laughs> but we don't think that. Why? Because of what's perpetuated by these myths. So I say all that to say that we have to go back and check our cultural bias Right. And once we identify it, be willing to be open to say, oh, wow. So that if we go to the hospital and there's a Nigerian doctor, we're not like a Nigerian doctor. Or, you know, if we go to whatever and there's someone else that we're not expecting to be there, 
right, to to be the lead person that we don't, you know, get offended because that's not what we expected. Um, and vice versa. If there are people who are experiencing hardship, because we talked about, you know, this is how we started this this particular topic. Yeah. You know, if we are seeing people that are experiencing significant hardships like Asians are in New York City, that we don't kind of just gloss over it because, no, you know, most Asians are fine. They're all doctors or whatever. They should be, somebody in your family should be able to help you out. No, there are tremendous amounts of people who are suffering hardships, who are not receiving help or aid because we think they're fine or we think that they should be able to get out of it because they're so smart or because they have an affinity for education when in actuality, no, they're people who have failings and shortcomings just like we do, yes. who are susceptible to poverty and you know being taken advantage of and being in you know low-class situations, whatever. We just got to change how we view these things and don't allow our you know positions to be swayed by what the, the the media continues to ram down our throat, yes. which is like what you said, Rayquisha and her. <laughs> so there, I mean, there's again, there's uh, negative stereotypes and there's positive stereotypes, but both of them, <clears throat> even the positive stereotypes, uh, can be detrimental. Like you said, mm. if you expect uh, Asian Americans to to do well and to not need help, and mm. therefore you neglect it, uh, we just need to do away with stereotypes. In general, and treat individuals as they are, and as you said, AJ, just kind of not, you know, raising your children up to be a particular something, but raise them up according to their bent. Train, train a child in, in the way they should go, and they will not mm. depart from it. Train them according to their bent, their yeah. desire. You know, if the if the child is Asian and wants to be a basketball player <laughs> or or Shout out to Jeremy Lin. Yep, yep. <laughs> or, you know, Blacken wants to be a mathematician. You know, just don't, again, don't fall into those particular stereotypes or, or biases. And just treat, treat, let us treat each one as an individual. Honestly, if we make sense of it, skin has nothing to do with intelligence. Skin is a bodily organ. It has nothing to do with intelligence. Mm-hmm. And in culture... You know, the whole notion of the tiger mom and there's certain cultures where, you know, the Jewish mom, the Asian mom, is if they somehow, you know, do better at raising kids than other people. No, my, you know, all three of us grew up during, you know, by um, children of, of people who lived through the civil rights movement. I know for my brother and I, you know, having had parents like that, I think if we had become vice president of the United States, that wouldn't have been up to the potential that our parents pushed on us every single day, you know, because they grew up during the time where, where the United States transitioned from us being third and fourth class citizens to being first class citizens for the first time since the 1600s. So you have parents like that, African American parents with high expectations, Mm -hmm. but they're not generally put in the category of, you know, the tiger mom or dad. You know, and and people will ascribe that to culture, not realizing that culture has nuances. Not every Chinese or Japanese mom or Indian mom or dad, you know, is going to have it. Like there's nothing superior inherently about certain cultures. And and so it's just we don't use that type of ignorance for everything else. But for some reason, when it comes to skin and notions of culture, we just assume that there's some people who are superior and some people who are inferior. Yeah. 
I think we just got to, you know, <clears throat> we have to be honest. And sometimes we just got to say, you know, I, I fell for the stereotype. <laughs> you know, sometimes we, we just don't want to admit that. You know, like, yeah, dang, I, I fell for it. Like, I, I thought all black folks like chicken or something, you know, whatever. Like, when I yeah, tell people my family's from chicken. the... <laughs> and watermelon. And water Very few people do not like a watermelon. Like there's that old Dave Chappelle joke. He's like, chicken is delicious. Yeah. I thought everybody liked chicken. chicken. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, you know, we we sometimes we just gotta admit that we fell for the stereotype. And you know, making that that second pivot, right? <laughs> one of the stereotypes that I think we fall for is that women can't be leaders. You know, we sometimes think that women cannot be leaders. Or they're with, masculine if they are. Right. Or exactly. Or they're, you know, masculine, particularly for black women. <laughs> um, that I know that that myth and that stereotype is out there. It's something I wanted to rap about. Um, I took my daughter to see Wonder Woman last week. Mm, that was a great film. Um, she really <laughs> dug it. Because I know, you know, a lot of times, you know, my, my son loves all the superhero stuff and all that. And my I can tell that my daughter wants to get into it. But a lot of times she doesn't see that female representation. And so it, you can tell the hesitancy in her voice, even when they play the game. They they're, they got the Xbox down there, so they'll be playing it. And she always, is there a female character on there? Is, is it is it you know one of the Avengers a female? Let me play, you know, let me find who the female character is. And so mm. when um, I saw Wonder Woman was coming out, I said I want to make sure that I took her. So it was just me and her did a little daddy daughter thing and took her to see Wonder Woman just so that she could have that you know, reinforced in her that, you know, women can be leaders and this woman's a superhero and she's like saving the world and it's (laughs) not always Superman and, you know, Iron Man, but it's actually a woman um, who is the lead in the movie, you know, for one. Um, And it's something that the the DC movies did immediately that the Marvel movies haven't, you know, hasn't done in 10 years, which has had a female superhero as like the lead character in the movie. Now, I don't know why they haven't done it. You know, whatever their reasoning is, is beyond me. I mean, I think Dan was saying that they're going to come out with one now, but you know how it is. Now they got to come out with one in a response because Wonder Woman is like the number one grosser movie the last. <laughs> now people are going to yeah, respond, right? Yeah, because now they're going to respond, exactly. You, you make $200 million, it's like, you know what? We should probably have a woman superhero movie ourselves. So I think Marvel's working on, you know, a, a female superhero movie as well. But just to reinforce the positive stereotype that, you know, a female can be a superhero. She can lead. She can be strong. She can be all of those things, right? And not be like, you know, domineering or whatever. You know, what whatever negative connotation we sometimes can put with women who want to <laughs> lead. Yeah. Um, the Bible, you know, talks very plainly about women who are in leadership, and I, I think leadership has very little to do with you know your like. I don't. I don't, I don't want to say masculinity because that's that, that's the wrong term. But a lot of times we look at women like that they're, they're trying to be men just because they're just leading. because they're trying yeah, to lead. That's problematic. Um, yeah, that's very problematic. Um, if a woman has characteristics and abilities and talents of a leader, you know, we have to identify that and say, hey, look, she is an excellent leader. And as long as she understands, you know, submission and, and, you know, her role and her place, I mean, just like a man has to understand his role and his place, everybody has a, a, a role and a place to play. And if her particular role is she has very good, you know, qualities as, as uh, at leadership or administration or whatever, why would I hinder her yeah. from being able to execute those things just because 
she's a woman. But JJ, what did you all like about the film when you when you and your daughter saw it? Did you guys get a chance to talk? And what did you kind of like about the the movie? Um, I know. Well, for one, she loved the fact that it was a woman. I mean, she yeah. she she was all <laughs> she was all she was all about that. Um, and, but seeing her also be able to kind of step out because in the movie, and I'm sorry, this is might be some spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Um, but if you recall earlier in the movie, she was kind of green and she was kind of, yeah. like, but as the movie progressed on, she started to come into her own. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was really good. And I, I think it was really encouraging to my daughter to see that like, oh, okay. She you know, was really dependent on the, the guy, I forget the guy's name, the, the pilot. Okay, yeah, yeah. Shoot. But okay. whatever the guy's name was. Yeah. But as the movie progressed on, she was like, I got this. Like, you just go, go on over there and chill. Let me, let me take care of this. And because of her abilities and her talents, it, it wasn't dependent upon the, the pilot anymore. She was able to sort of come into her own, um, which I thought was excellent. Um, and just seeing an island full of these Amazon women and those sequences, you know, and scenes where they were, you know, practicing their their art and their, you know, ability to defend themselves and their martial arts or whatever it is. Those were bad. Those were bad. Like th- those those chicks were on point. So it was great. You know, it was just nice watching that. So and then they seem to have, you know, like a there seem to be like some kind of integrity there like they're they're there for a purpose and they're trying of course you know wonder woman was her mother wanted to protect her and but she ended up coming into who she is so yeah that was cool yeah so i I just do want to make a comment i'm like a comic book buff (laughs) all right (laughs) i'm really into some marvel so uh marvel bias i'm I'm over (laughs) yeah i'm a little more biased to, to Marvel than DC. Now, uh, just you know, referencing what you said before, Marvel did have a plan before Wonder Woman came out to <laughs> come out with, with a Captain Captain Marvel movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, although you know, DC gets the credit for you know doing it first. Uh, so kudos to to DC, and you know, I'm glad that you know these type of movies are coming out, um, and you know, again, to the further point about, you know, women and, and leadership and position of power, I believe, yeah, a woman can lead, a woman can be in positions of power, and it is a good thing. Um, now, you know, as as believers, and I know everyone is, you know, we have different listeners here and different, even different listeners who are Christian who may have different views as far as a woman's role, um, you know, in the family or in mm. the church. Um, but, you know, I believe that, you know, as, as man and woman, God created us different and unique and, you know, can fulfill different roles. Um, yeah. You know, my personal view is, uh, you know, what the Bible says is that the man is, you know, to be head of the household and that. What? Us, what you talking about? Yeah, I'm taking taking. Unless you married the Wonder it. Woman, I don't know. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, I'm taking. Like, put that lasso down, girl. This is my house. No, yeah, that's it's not a. <laughs> you know, my comment is not to be mistaken for subjugation of women, uh, but it, you know, it is a role that you know I believe God has uniquely designed. Now that doesn't prevent a woman from being, you know, president of the United States. <laughs> uh, Probably not Hillary Clinton, though. Uh, so just, I told you I told you this, you, know, you can kind of offend. I hear a bias coming uh, on. <laughs> yeah, 
maybe Jill Stein might have made a better candidate. I liked Jilly. Fun. I really did. But, um, Jilly from Philly. <laughs> or wherever Jill Stein is right. from. Yeah, so it, it is, it is good Scott. just, you know, just to, to see these type of movies and, and TV shows. I also have, a, you know, superhero TV show out by Marvel, uh, since like Marvel bias, but the Jessica Jones is, is okay. one female lead. I was so, going to ask you, which Avengers are women? Shout out you to know? Netflix. Like, we keep telling you Netflix. You can you can sponsor us anytime. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so the these are coming out. It's, uh, I think it's a it's a good thing uh, that you know you can. I don't have a daughter yet. Uh, I'm, you know, we desire to have a daughter at some point. But it'd be good to you know bring them out to these type of movies. No, definitely. Um, and you know, in in that same vein, you know, once so Wonder Woman comes out within the last two weeks, and then you know, I guess th- this will make Dan happy, right? So then Marvel go, <laughs> goes ahead and and drops the Black Panther trailer. Boom! I think it came out during the NBA Finals. It was during the NBA Finals because it was a commercial. The, the trailer yeah, came out. Yeah, yeah, the trailer came out. I think it was Game Four, or Game Five. Mm. Um, and they dropped the Black Panther trailer, um, and that joint looked amazing. Chadwick <laughs> Boseman was handling his business yeah. in that trailer. My goodness, it, it was funny because they, you know, they they I was watching all the memes that people were putting out on Twitter. What were they putting out? Uh, you know, because I don't know what the music was in the background, but somebody <laughs> was able to extract the music, and they had like four guys walking into like a movie theater with a dashiki on. <laughs> And they're like brothers rolling up in the Black Panther movie like this, and <laughs> it was hilarious. But um, I think similar to to Wonder Woman, um, what the Black Panther is going to do because Black Panther is the first black superhero who will have a lead in a movie. Right? Dang, it's 2017, and you're trying to tell me what? Well, from the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I know Blade came out like 15, 20 years ago, whatever. But with this new incarnation of what Marvel's been doing with the Avengers over mm-hmm. the last eight, ten years, whatever. Dang. Um, that he's like the, because there have been a couple, I know there's, there's a couple black Avengers, but ne- none of them have had like their own solo film yeah. before this. Yeah. Um, and But one of the things that, that I saw from the Black Panther, tra- just a trailer, just a two minute trailer that I didn't see from the Wonder Woman full length movie, because what you would kind of expect a lot of times when a woman takes a role front and center, sometimes you see backlash. Sometimes you hear yeah. that backlash. Oh, she's just trying to take over. And da, da, da. I didn't really hear much of that. It was ex- like, I mean, it was all around praise. Great movie. Good job, DC, for having a female lead, I, you know, which was surprising because you don't hear that a lot. Black Panther trailer comes out and it's only two minutes long and you hear a lot of backlash. Oh, that, this movie looks too black. That's crazy. You know, his name's already Black Panther. Oh, God. You know, and... His name is T'Challa. But anyway, well, yeah, you know what yeah, I'm saying. Right. Um, and a sudden... Uh, <laughs> well, granted, a fictional A fictional country. country. It's not even and, a real country. In, in Africa. So... Yes. Would you expect... Some... <laughs> yeah. What, 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 what color you do you expect him to be in Africa, in the middle of Africa? One of the things that I saw a lot of um, was... People saying that the poster for the movie, he looks too much like when Huey P. Newton was sitting <laughs> on that um, wicker chair with those two spears, that that's what that poster reminded them of. And so just a little bit, not a lot, not like tons of backlash, yeah. but um, you know, it was enough to be noticed like, oh, hmm, people are not as receptive to, 
an African movie because really it's more African exactly. than African American. Yeah, um, an African superhero um, having a lead because you know where Blade was more of an African American. You know, this Black Panther is actually more African um, culturally. I mean, even though it's a fictitious country, you know, geographically, it's in the continent of Africa. And I think the majority of the movie is going to take place within, you know, Wakanda, which is, you know, like I said, a fictitious country within Africa. Um, but people aren't as receptive to an African superhero yeah. as I would have expected, honestly, you know, because, you know, within the, the last four or five years, Afrocentrism has become like a thing. It's, it's like really in vogue, if you want to say, culturally. I mean, it's been in a thing like every generation since we got here, but it's just that in recent years, yeah. now people are popping up. But our parents had a time of Afrocentrism, et cetera, et cetera. So it's just, it's interesting the way that Afrocentrism comes and goes over the centuries. I don't know what that's about. Um, but one thing that it, it's really interesting because I was more attracted to the subtext of what this trailer seemed to show which is Africa is a lot more, there's a lot more going on in that continent than you think. It's almost like, you know, there's an overlay of, okay, a very wealthy continent, but then the oppression and poverty. And, but then actually, it, it almost seems to say, actually, I don't know, like we, we actually have this facade for a reason to keep you from continuing to rape us, you know, of our resources. So it'll, <laughs> it's really it, like, that's what I got from the wow. trailer. Yeah, look, I mean, but it, it got me really excited because I like, you know, ideas like that, where it's like, even when, when you look at African ancient history, you know, it was on point wow. when the rest of the when most of the rest of the world, you know, was still developing. It's funny you say that because I was reading an article this week um, about the most expensive city to live in mm, Luanda. has now become the capital of Angola. Oh, well, it is the capital of Angola, yeah. I think. But what I'm, but but the pictures, yeah, online. Um, man, but I, I wouldn't have thought that. I have like 50 destinations. I've only been to Africa once. I have like 50 destinations to visit in my life, wow. you know, in Africa, just, you know, personally places I want to visit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Angola has never come to mind. And Angola is on my list now because yeah. that, that city looks beautiful. When I was reading that article, like New York was the most expensive American city, but New York was like number nine on the list. Yeah. And just, you know, we were talking about those stereotypes earlier. I would have never thought a city in Angola would have been the most expensive city to live in in the world. In the world. Yeah. Like more than London, Hong Kong. I mean, yeah. they named all the other cities and they were like, no, the capital of Angola, it's like 5,000 euros or 6,000 euros, which is like eight or $9,000 yeah, a month, yeah. a month mm-hmm. to rent like a studio, like a little small apartment, which was just crazy. Um, but anyway, I just thought, you know, seeing some of the, the, the backlash from the trail, I was like, you know, it kind of was, I was more surprised because I expected more backlash from Wonder Woman, to be honest. I wasn't expecting as much backlash from uh, Black Panther. I don't know why. Maybe it was just being naive, but I was just a little, you know, kind of t- taken yeah. taken back I'm, by it. I'm actually honestly not surprised. I <laughs> think that uh, as much as, you know, we talk about, you know, sexism in America and the bias, you know, of, of men over women, uh, racism is a bigger issue, I believe, that mm-hmm. there's more, you know, bias against, you know, of, of whites against blacks. And uh, I believe a lot of the backlash uh, that I'm seeing is due to, I think, and again, uh, everyone knows I'm white, so 
don't don't catch the fence when I talk about white people, but I believe we. You can you, talk about white, white people. people. You should white do that every show. Just yeah. say, uh, yeah, by the way, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but I think we we desire to be represented in everything. Uh, we mm. are the dominant culture, and we get upset when uh, this, you know, the superhero movie that's basically all black except for a couple other characters oh we're not why can't it be more inclusive or mm. but we, what about when we come up with those movies that are all white you don't see a single minority character in there those films aren't even called all white films but but this one yeah. that article would say black panther with an all black cast wait a second yeah, so we it's 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 very hypocritical and mm. there's you know why why is there there this desire that we as white people want to be represented in everything. We are the majority <laughs> culture in America. We we need to chill out. Like you know <laughs> let let someone else get their shine. It's it's okay. You're you know you're not going to lose your position of power or white privilege anytime soon. Um, yeah, and it just it just kind of is really you know the whole thing is really funny to me. <laughs> like as soon as you know this movie comes out again, as we said, it's based in the fictional country of Wakanda in in Africa. So the majority of characters should be African, <laughs> Hello. black, have African descent, and so yeah, they're. There shouldn't be a question of why this is a majority black film. It it, it should be that way. Um, yeah, I just I, I I'm a little uh, leery. You know, hopefully that when it comes out, I think next summer it's supposed to come out next summer. That you dang, know, we have to wait a whole year. I didn't realize that. Well, because they got something else coming out this year. I think it's oh. like a Thor or something or another Avengers. Something's coming out this year. Yeah, mm-hmm. Spider-Man. Well, Spider-Man, the, yeah. Spider-Man. Well, uh, yeah, and then Thor after that. Okay. Uh, Dan got the whole Marvel. You got the- <laughs> <laughs> but they, and so I think Black Panther's the one they're going to put out next summer. But I just hope it doesn't, you know, not that I'm you know, saying they got to make tons of money, but those superhero movies make tons of money. And so you just kind of like, I hope the one black movie doesn't like the one that, that <laughs> It's going to be okay. Like, I have you know. a feeling, yeah. <laughs> so, but, you know, I think speaking of just letting people get their shine, um, we're going to pause right here and let one of our sponsors get their shine. How yeah. about that? How about that? Do you feel like you're just managing day to day? Imagine a life where you understand your purpose, you're actively pursuing your goals, you're impacting the people around you through your leadership, and you have systems in place for maximum efficiency. Well, let me introduce you to Coach Sheba. She is a leadership development coach who works with professionals, entrepreneurs, and leaders, men and women like you who are ready to stop managing day to day and start leading within the circles of influence they can impact. Clients working with her team learn the value of the process that leads to growth and development within themselves and how that impacts the way they relate to their purpose, others, and time. When your mindset shifts and your behavior changes, this equates to a change that is sustainable. These changes professionally and personally will result in a changed life. Get in touch with Sheba today at www.coachsheba.com. That's C-O-A-C-H-S-H-E-E-B-A.com. 
or she can be reached at 650-741-6545. Please support our sponsors the way they support our podcast and tell them you heard about it at Across the Intersection. All right, and we're back. We're back. We're back. So we thank y'all for rocking with us. We're just going to wrap up this discussion this week with um, something that was a little interesting, it's a, a, a take that I had never um, honestly considered. Um, you know, recently we, we, we just had, uh, well, we're, we're coming up on 4th of July. Today is June 25th, right? Yeah. 24th, yeah. something 24th. like that. It's the 24th. 24th. <laughs> yeah. 24th. We just, we just went back in time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, today's 24th, not 25th. Sorry. June 24th. Um, so we just had Juneteenth on the 15th of June? No, no, no. Juneteenth is always June 19th. 19th, mm-hmm. sorry. Referring to June 19th, 1865. But go ahead. And we're coming up on the 4th of July. Yeah. And so we want to just compare and contrast Juneteenth with Independence Day. Yeah, this is this is a really interesting thing because honestly, if you're not in what people call the hotep circles, you know, or or, or even the the the, bi, the the racially conscious circles within African America, you might not even have heard of the juxtaposition that uh, that has been raised between the Fourth of July, which is America's Independence Day, and Juneteenth, which uh, some people are, many people are celebrating as African American independence. So, so this is the argument. Um, some people actually believe, um, and you know, have believed for a while that it doesn't make any sense for African Americans or any oppressed people group in the United States to celebrate the Fourth of July. And the reason is because back on the July Fourth, seventeen seventy-six, you have people who had received their independence from their oppressor. Great Britain, uh, for those who you know were not patriots but loyalists, uh, I'm sorry, were not uh, uh, loyalists but patriots who thought that they were being oppressed by Great Britain. Um, you know, those people had received their independence from Great Britain. However, they established their independent country, the United States of America, on stolen land <laughs> and stolen uh, bodies. You know, and so. That, you know, a lot of the people from sort of the consciousness environment say, well, wait, wait a second. Why are we rejoicing and doing fireworks and, you know, out on the grill? Why are we celebrating the independence of a country who, when that independence was declared, most of us were enslaved, working from can't see until can't see for generations? That o doesn't da- make sense. Oh, dark 30, yeah. Yeah, literally, oh, dark 30. And so now, and then you juxtapose that against the celebration of Juneteenth. So basically, during the Civil War, um, one of the tactics that President Abraham Lincoln, the President of the United States, decided to use to defeat uh, President Jefferson Davis of the Confederate States of America, which had seceded from the United States and wanted to move and become its own country, one of the tactics during this war, where Lincoln was trying to keep our country together, was to free the enslaved people in the Confederate States of America. Now, of course, some people even today, including our fellow Christians, will say he didn't even have the authority <laughs> to free states outside, you know, into in a country that had seceded from him. But um, he issued the Emancipation Proclamation, which would take effect January 1st, 1863. However, the enslaved people down in Galveston, Texas, did not find out about this Emancipation Proclamation until June 19, 1865, 
what what's the difference in years there? Yeah. Just a couple of years. Just, just, just a couple of years. You so know. people were bent back and slate, uh, uh, laboring, <laughs> bent back over and over again, getting whipped, going through all these changes, dangling from trees for two and a half years. Um, uh, after you know they were declared free through the Emancipation Proclamation. So, so you anyway, millennials out there, that means there was no internet. They couldn't have just <laughs> shot an email. No, it had no. to physically be taken. The message had to be physically taken by Union troops. Yep, from D.C. all the way to Galveston, <laughs> Texas. You want to know a long trip? Ride horseback. Yeah, so no, no Twitter <laughs> hashtag. Right. Uh, Free no hashtag last. free at last, exactly. Yeah. And if there, even if there was uh, something like that, you are in Texas, so you, you know, even if you got that kind of notification early, so there's a, you know, so where do we go? Because we're surrounded by our oppression. Maybe we'll sneak down to Mexico, you know, or maybe we'll go out west to that uncharted land, which was uncharted at the time. Right. But we definitely aren't going to go north through a thousand miles of states to try to get to Canada or to get to Canada. So, you know, but, but anyway, you know, people who have this perspective say, instead of celebrating July 4th, under which we were oppressed at the time that July 4th was established, why don't we celebrate Juneteenth? Because that was when the last of our people who were enslaved were finally free. So I, you know, it's, it's an interesting idea, you know? Um, so that's, you know, that's why we, we brought it up. We just wanted to see, you I know. still want my day off, though. I still want. <laughs> yeah. I still want a day off from you work. You still want your day off, and you still want to do the fireworks, and you still want to put something on the grill. I don't really do fireworks, but I just, yeah, <laughs> I just don't want to go to my, my my job. I don't know. Yeah. So I, uh, I, I really had been unaware of the whole Juneteenth thing till Monday when I saw people lighting up my Facebook news feed with Juneteenth. What Juneteenth? What? <laughs> uh, so yeah, I did. I did look that up and. Yeah, did see that it has already been mentioned that it's referenced to June 19th, 19, or 1865. Um, and, yeah, just, I do see the, you know, there's the dichotomy that Eve mentioned, the fact that, you know, we celebrate Independence Day, yet a good portion of people in this country were not independent. <laughs> uh, they were enslaved. Um, yet... Uh, why why don't we celebrate June 19th? Why don't we make that uh, a national holiday? Um, mm, interesting point. You know, you know, America has a habit of highlighting everybody else's, mm -hmm. you know, mistakes and, you know, missteps, but loving to gloss over our own. And <laughs> that's, for people who listen, you know, we we love to, you know, say, oh, well, you know, slavery was a thousand years ago. Why you, <laughs> let me, let me, give you a, a glimpse into how close slavery was. I don't know if you guys remember the National African American Hi History and Culture Museum that was just opened in D.C. this year. Yeah. Or, or like last year. Last sorry. year. Late last year, yeah. Within the last year. Mm -hmm. And Obama had a woman there who was like 90-some years old, right? Who helped him cut the ribbon, I mean, you know, to let open up. Her father or grandfather, I, I think believe, it was her grandfather. Her grandfather was a who slave. Who she knew. Who she knew yeah. was a slave. So literally you had the grandchild of an actual person who was enslaved at that museum. So that's how just three generations ago you had, you literally had slavery still in the United States um, physically where you could touch. Like you could touch the woman who was a grandchild 
of an enslaved man. So we have to keep that in our mind. Like it wasn't that long ago. Like let's not, you know, give off the impression like, oh, slavery was a thousand years ago. Come on, get over it. No, it was still close enough for some people um, where it's, you know, still like fresh. You know, those types of memories don't go away that easy. And then another sort of uh, um, use of math when you when you look at it, uh, some people don't know this, but 1619 was the first time that Amer- that Africans uh, were brought here to this continent um, and served as indentured servants and as, uh, and became slaves and so forth and then slavery became racialized and all that. But what I'm trying to say is that um, when you look at the number of years of slavery and the number of years since, mm-hmm. we have actually had a slave society longer than we've had a free society. Wow. So that's another thing. You know, again, people love to say, because people are uncomfortable, especially when a great country like ours, when a little bit of the, the, the country's butt starts to be exposed, people get uncomfortable. Yeah. But and, they, and people just want to shrink back and say, let's not talk about this, let's not talk about that, even though that kind of backdrop explains a lot of what we see. But people want to shrink back from that instead of saying, no, let's do like they did in South Africa, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, and actually let, let's talk about all this so that you could stop assuming that the conditions that you see and all of the, all of the um, wealth gaps and all of those things are just because somebody, a group of people are just innately inferior. Yeah. No, there's a, there's a reason for it. And so let's look at how close slavery is. And, and even yeah, beyond slavery, of course, you had Jim Crow and mm-hmm. lynchings going on for many decades after. And the fact is that even though the slaves were freed in the southern states, um, quote unquote, and the northern unquote, states, and the northern states, that all these you know lynchings were going on. Uh, blacks were being killed left and right, and we're not receiving justice. We're not being treated as equal citizens, and there was very little enforcement yeah. of of the of their freedom. Uh, it wasn't being enforced in a lot of these southern states. Years after you know, the Manson Patient Proclamation years after June 19, 1965. This is still 18. going on. So you could uh, you could say that slavery, in, in essence, continued for another 50, 60, 70 years after uh, it, quote-unquote, ended. That's yeah, there's really a book out called yeah. Slavery by Another Name, mm-hmm. and it talks Ooh, about the conditions. Yeah. It talks about the conditions of... Um, African-Americans in this country post-Emancipation Proclamation up until the early parts of the 20th century. So It's really important. I mean, and that's these are things that are important to know because otherwise, again, we were talking about bias and about existing within an environment where bias is something that it's easy to fall for, even if you're intelligent. And you can look at all of the differences in, in, in what the media shows you about different groups of people and just assume, oh, there must be something wrong with people who haven't succeeded in certain areas or there must be something inherently right. But when you step back and you realize that 1965 was the last year, or I'm sorry, was the first year that, um, that Americans of African descent have been given access to first-class citizenship, that's the beginning of Generation X. Right. <laughs> Basically, our generation is literally the first generation to be born into first-class citizenship after all these centuries. This is the first generation. Mm-hmm. So, you know, again, it's, it doesn't do us any good as a society. And as Christians, 
you know, to, to make assumptions about entire groups of people without a, a historic context. Yeah, we just can't, you know, in in summary, I mean, I think what we have to understand and, you know, we drilled this point home earlier was we, you know, body of Christ, we have to be peacemakers. We have to be bridge builders. Um, we can't expect people who are unrighteous and who are unjust and all of those other things that we love to call people, the other names we love to call people. Mm-hmm. We can't expect them to act any other way than the way that they're going to act. I can't expect a lion to not want to devour a zebra when he sees one. Um, and so what we have to do is we have to work to build these bridges, mend these fences, you know, fill in these gaps. You know, the Bible talks about standing in the gap. Well, this is one of the ways in which we can stand in the gap and begin to be peacemakers, begin to bring uh, people together. Because we're never going to win anybody to anything if we don't start by at least seeing their viewpoint. You know what's interesting? And I really want to see what you both feel about this. What's really interesting that I've encountered is that when issues come up, I find that even agnostics and atheists say, well, what is the church doing about it? Like I, I hear that coming up and I'm, and it's it's weird to me because I'm like, you you don't care about the church? <laughs> well, like, why do you, you know, but for some reason there's this, and I don't know if they would admit to it, but it comes up in conversation where it's almost like they expect Christians to have an approach, you know, some kind of godly approach or some kind of reconciliation related approach to the conditions of society. But even people who don't believe will make comments like that you know, or talk about things going wrong in the church as if there is some sort of an intangible expectation that believers will take an approach, a certain approach to it. Or if believers are being not so productive when it comes to it, even an atheist or an agnostic will acknowledge that. Almost as if there's some sort of, you know, mandate that we were given that people, even people who hate us or don't agree with our views ascribe to. I think uh, in, internally they, they know. And, I mean, when you look back, uh, you do see that um, not, I can't say in recent history, but you do see how Christians did stand up. Christians were the first ones to, you know, create, you know, hospitals. And, mm. you know, it was, a, it was a Christian who, uh, you know, helped to end the slave trade. Um so it, it is our role and responsibility not to not to just come in at the tail end or come alongside, but to, to actually lead these movements. Or fan uh, the flames so, of, yeah. of discord. Yeah. To actually, yeah, we, we need to actually stand up. We need to, to get ahead of these things and not, as believers, just trying to catch our breath, catching up with what's going on in the world. Uh, but no, we need, we need to address these issues head on and, you know, take the role, uh, the Lord has meant for us to take as believers. And even like you said, the world, the world recognizes that even that, you know, we're not doing what we need to do as believers. Yeah. We just gotta, we have to, can't, we can't wait, right? We, we cannot take our time in becoming bold. Listen, Christians have fallen short from the beginning of being of Christians, Christians have fallen short, but we, what we can't do is we have to be quicker to be bold, you know, particularly with holding 
each other accountable. You know, listen, there were chaplains on slave ships, so Christians <laughs> have Christians Ooh. have missed the mark from the beginning of Christianity. But what we can't do is we can't. Oh, they praying a- for good grief. We can't wait around and wait around and wait around. You know, to to walk out and, and and step out in boldness, we have to be quick to to be bold. So that's what I mean is we have to <clears throat> we have to be quick to be peacemakers. We have to be quick to be bridge builders. We have to be quick to be lights. Um, move, you know, to walk walk in that. And you know, part of that is holding our brothers and sisters accountable. And also, part of it is you know, like what we hopefully do here. You know, which is bringing God to the forefront. We like to try to keep that stuff on the low. And, you know, like I like to end every show is, you know, as long as I'm still kicking and breathing, I'm going to keep God in the forefront. Like if I'm talking about issues, Mm -hmm. I'm being bold and I'm doing it because I want to keep God in the mix. I'm not going to keep God on the low. I'm going to keep him in the forefront, Um, you know, but do it with a mature, (laughs) do it from that mature perspective. So with that, we appreciate y'all rocking with us this week. We thank y'all. We we hope y'all got a lot out of it. And, you know, like I just spewed out, you know, we want to keep God in the mix and keep him in the forefront because that's what we do. We want to do it from a mature perspective. So for Eve, for Dan, this is AJ saying thank y'all for rocking with us. For my peoples one time. Peace, peace. Let's get started, I won't teach you Let me set apart who is my people The ones who set in their heart to be believers Press on to the mark to follow Jesus When it gets hard, they be seeking the leaders Fathers that help them heal when they are beaten Or help them see the meaning when they're grieving Don't follow their feelings, that are be misleading Yeah, they're the ones that keeping it biblical Keep it 100 when others saying it's me